Thank you for tuning into the Hope When There Was None podcast. And here we share stories to educate you, to empower you and inspire. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Please do me a favor and share if you have a favorite episode, or maybe you think somebody else that needs a dose of positivity and to maybe break open some of the darkness, let there be light. So thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. I hope you enjoy this episode. And we're live. Welcome. This is Melinda Kunst from Hope When There Was None, bringing on just a fabulous guest, Lizzie. Oh my goodness. I was, I listened to her story and I've been trying to stop doing that because I don't want to, I want to kind of have more of an authentic um, guest interview without knowing like, oh, I know this <laughs> you know, ahead of time. But really, your story is just beautiful. It's inspiring. And where it's gone now into just serving others, it's really mm -hmm. fabulous. And you taught me a few things as well. So I'm going to let you take it away. If anybody's wondering, I'm going to put her links in the, they're actually, they're already in the comment section. So you don't have to furi furiously write what's going to be scrolling on the screen. You can find them there. If you're listening in the podcast or on YouTube, I We'll put those links in the description notes. So I'm going to let you take it away. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, Melinda, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've been looking forward to chatting with you again. Uh, as you said, my name is Lizzie Maritia. I um, live on the eastern shore of Maryland. I'm originally from New Jersey. I am a certified cannabis and mindfulness coach. I help others who are ready for sustainable growth in their lives to achieve that and to keep it going, particularly when that change is hard due to experiences with either personal or generational or historical traumas. So that's, that's what I do. I'm very fortunate to be able to see, witness, and foster such transformation in people. And it stems from you know, you know my story. It stems from my own experience in transformation from a very, very angry, very self-destructive, codependent, hypervigilant, um, PTSD-ridden soul to someone who's no longer angry and resentful um, of upbringing or of circumstance and my body, mainly. And I'm now comfortable in my own skin, quite literally, because uh, some of my abuse, a majority of my, well, I wouldn't even say a majority, but a good amount of my abuse, because there's a whole iceberg here, but a good chunk of the abuse that I experienced growing up surrounded water. Um, there was sexual assault that took place from my stepfather, who bathed me from the time that I was six on. There was a pool in the backyard that was involved. There was also corporal punishment in my house for crying. That's undiagnosed postpartum in my in my mother. That's dysfunctional cycles carrying forward from generations from the Great Depression on, you know, be seen but not heard. And it resulted in my body developing an alarm signal to sound whenever I came in contact with water because it was unsafe. So around the age of six, I started to develop severe painful hives whenever I would bathe, whenever I would cry, whenever it would rain and I was outside, horrible hives. And for a long time, doctors would tell me, well, they called it idiopathic aquagenic urticaria because idiopathic is the word they use when they don't know exactly where something's coming from. And they would tell me, switch shampoos, try different soaps, suck it up and don't dance in the rain, which was depressing. And I already had a connective tissue disorder that I was rebelling against regularly, which meant that my form was a little more fragile than I was comfortable admitting. Mm -hmm. And instead of taking it easy in my body, I decided I'm going to be a roofer, I'm going to be a landscaper, I'm going to work at UPS, I'm going to do all these hardcore labor jobs because I'm a five foot three female and damn it, <laughs> I'm going to do it all. <laughs> and this resulted in a broken tailbone and severely aging joints, um, arthritis, and all these other issues. So after years and years of struggling with bathing and having to walk around in this body that was abused so terribly by others and then worse so by myself, mm -hmm. I, had, I had my daughter 
I found myself on the floor. She was born in 2013. I found myself on the floor in 2014 playing with her. And I went to get up and I couldn't. Couldn't even rise from the floor. I stayed there for six hours until my husband came home to help me up from the floor because I was stuck. And I was 30. Mm. And I had had enough. So that's when I started. I'd always used cannabis before my pregnancy. As a teenager, I used it to manage my anxiety and pain that I experienced, even when I didn't realize it. And mindfulness was something that I wanted to do more with education, with more understanding. And movement. I'd always been told to kind of stay away from yoga because of my connective tissue disorder, because I could easily dislocate. But it resulted in me not building any strength. And I didn't listen to anything the doctor had told me to that point anyway. So <laughs> why not follow my intuition here, right? Right. So I began my journey in personal growth and development. And eventually it led us to moving, moving to Maryland, partially for family, partially for access to legal and safe cannabis, medical cannabis, and also access to the safest community in the state of Maryland, whereas where we were in New Jersey was getting a little sketchy on our block. It was getting a little dangerous. So we actually moved here in five days. Wow. Uh, came down here, got into the cannabis program, got a job at the dispensary, found an amazing therapist who helped me to develop my mindfulness practice, became a mentor to me. And it took her two years to give me my diagnosis, um, one one part being PTSD. And she didn't tell me earlier because she knew I would reject it, but I had. Oh. My, a good friend of mine who was a Marine, one of my dearest friends that I grew up with, he was a Marine, he, he served in Afghanistan and Iraq, and his name was Corporal Jared Painter. He came home with a broken back and a broken spirit. And he was the first person, and you'll have to excuse me if I get emotional, but. Mm. He was the first person to tell me that I had PTSD. Mm -hmm. I said, no, 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 no. You went to war. And he said, so did you. Mm. And I still didn't believe him. I still wanted nothing to do with that. I needed to support him. How could I be of more service to you? Don't talk about me. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. He passed away a week after his son was born. Okay. He had been told, whatever you do, stay away from, stay away from cannabis. Stay away from weed. And when he died and his family and I were looking at all his medications as my dresser, there was um, repeats with diff different doctor's names on it mm. from the same month. There was things that should never be taken together. There was just a smorgasbord of pills. And he did what they said and he stayed away from weed and he took all these pills and he took a bunch of opioids because of his back pain. He mm. took heroin and he died. <sighs> And I blame, in part, prohibition. I credit thousands of lives every year lost to the opioid pandemic yeah. and to just a lack of self-sustaining wellness. People have grown extremely dependent on being told what to take at what time and then mm -hmm. what else to take to take care of what that does. Yeah, and yeah that vicious cycle <clears throat> just keeps going. So my friend, my friend died. I was later, much later diagnosed with PTSD. Had it wash over me, felt him wash over me like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, you were right. Mm -hmm. And after starting to really process and really understand that just because I wasn't locked in a closet and you know, beaten with a wrench or had cigarettes put out on me does not mean that I didn't experience trauma. I experienced some serious trauma. And it took sitting down and laying it all out in a timeline and talking about things, not even all of it, but a good chunk. And getting that support and conversation to my counselor and then medicating mindfully, understanding, educating myself on the cannabis, how it works, my endocannabinoid system that we all have, uh, terpenes, which contribute to the efficacy and what the effects are of cannabis. Working in the dispensary, I was able to gain a lot of knowledge, but I noticed a gap in care between doctor and dispensary where people would be overwhelmed by this medication because it is very, it's very, very old. It's <laughs> one would argue the oldest medication there, but it's also very, very new in terms of having access to it and understanding it. So that's when I started to pursue becoming a cannabis coach. And 
I paired that educated understanding of cannabis with my mindfulness practice and began to reframe my relationship with water, for example, and mindfully bathing and um, bathing while, while medicated. And I noticed on my honeymoon with my husband that I had been high free. We went swimming, I jumped in a cenote, I showered for hours because I could. And I'd realized in conversation with my, my counselor that I was so physically, emotionally, and mentally removed from my trauma that I actually didn't break out in any hives. And it was <laughs> incredible. So it was possible. That's all I needed to know. It was possible. So I brought that home with me and I looked for those feelings as a start. It was far more in depth and it took a long time, but I am able to say today that I can shower, I can bathe without breaking out in horrible hives where it feels like the skin is gonna tear off my body every time. Mm -hmm. I've even recently showered at my mother's where much of my abuse took place. Whereas, yeah, that just wow. that just happened recently. And I I was blown away because that had never happened, not since I was six. I would get wow. high washing my hands and that bathroom because my abuser would often come in while I was showering in that bathroom, in that shower that I was in. So even though part of me started to flare up a little bit you know those outdated alarms started to sound like okay you know where you are i just kept telling myself that i was safe kept connecting with the space really did my embodiment where i came back to my mind came back to my body came back to, to that time where i was right then right there mm. and no hives wow and speaking of your mom then, well, have you had any closure or have you been able to speak about it to your family about the past at all? It took a long time. It took a really long time. Did anybody acknowledge that that was wrong or just glossed it over? No, everybody. Um, I told my sisters first. My sisters and my brother are much younger than I am. And their father is my stepfather. So I had to be very careful how I approach it. Mind you, also, he uh, is an addict, and none of us have spoken to him in over 10 years. Not because of his addiction, but because he did, you know, crappy things, you know. And none of he's not in any of their lives. But he was even homeless at one point, and I was bringing him food and sneakers under an overpass wow. that he was living under. And then it took my pregnancy where I was like, nope, I'm done. And realizing I was having, I was having a little girl. Mm. It's like, okay, the end of this cycle. In pregnancy, mm. that's when I told my sisters. And they both, they're twins, they had a they had a feeling. They wondered. And there was one point where he was just sitting with his arm around one on the couch and he wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting there like a dad would sit with his arm around a, a daughter in an appropriate way. And from across the house, this was around this was around the time that I was like, okay. I'm done. I was 18, mm -hmm. 18, 19. It took that that long. And I just stared death daggers at him. And when he got up, I essentially explained that if he ever touched my sisters, he'd be dismembered, if you know what I mean. And <clears throat> and that was it. And that was it. So I, but until that point, speaking out about it to me in my immature, traumatized mind, I mean, this was my entire life, infancy. He started his first date with my mother. She was three days before she had me. Oh my goodness. So now we see the red flag in that alone. I wet the bed until I was nine. Now we know that red flag. Then mm. I got beat for wet in my pants. Mm. Insult and then injury and mm. then insult and then injury. Right. Right. Contributing again to my my allergy to moisture because I was constantly soaked from wetting my pants and these things they built up they sent me into shame blame shame blame spirals and it took being pregnant to kick the brakes on for him like no more no more dysfunctional cycles yeah this isn't going to happen so I told my sisters they they heard me absolutely told my brother probably he's the youngest I told him a couple of years after that and then I didn't tell my mom. Well, no, I told him probably a year later. I told my mom about a year after that. Yeah. Shocked. Wow. She was shocked. Okay. Wow. 
which I think comes with its own heaping helping of guilt. Okay. When there's when there was no idea, because there's again undiagnosed postpartum. We're talking about a woman who was had me at 21, 1985. Her own mother called her a whore for getting pregnant. Oh, that's different now. My grandmother loves me. But again, products of different generations, which right. doesn't negate the pain that it causes by right. any means, but hurt people hurt people. And it wasn't it was not a great relationship growing up. And mm -hmm. she was shocked. And she had to swallow her own understanding of this went down under my nose. How? Where was I? What was I doing? So there hasn't been a whole lot of conversations around it, but that's more work that I had to do on, on my own right. coming to the acceptance. Cause that's what mindfulness is. That's what a lot of, a lot of people don't understand the common misconception people believe when they're practicing mindfulness or meditation, for example, that they're sitting with their minds empty and just humming and, you know, that's, mm -hmm. it's not it. The mind is, <laughs> that's, that's what it's got to do. Right. right. It's, it's function. And if you're not right here, the only options are then or then. Neither of which you can control. Typically, it's going to go to the worst things because the brain is designed also to help us to survive. So it's looking for danger right. to respond to. <clears throat> and if that dangerous past, it's going to wonder, how can I prepare? Okay, well, I'll send off a ton of red flares whenever we go anywhere near water. And you're going to itch and, and be in a ton of pain so you get the heck out of there. So these wow. things, these things happening... People grow, grow addicted to these emotions without even realizing the chemical response in their, in their body. And that was, that was my mother as well. You know, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of pain there for her, a lot of pain there for both of us. And me understanding that in my mindfulness, that acceptance part, that the relationship, it, that it doesn't need to meet this illusion that I have that's decided by whom, you know, by, mm -hmm. by society. And this is... <clears throat> the path that we're on together. This is our journey as mother and daughter. And can I be grateful for what I've got? And since I've made that decision, I also put up boundaries, internal boundaries, protecting my sovereign self. So I was investing emotionally. And it's exhausting. Yes. It's exhausting. <clears throat> Just let every emotion take over in an experience or in a in preparation of a conversation that likely won't happen at all the way that you prepare, you know, <laughs> I'd say won't. Right. <laughs> Instead of investing all of this emotion into feeling disappointed or feeling on guard and getting defensive, which then sends my mother on guard, you know, like that doesn't help things. Right. Instead of going there, simply showing self-compassion and compassion for her every Hmm. every time compassion that's what it's going to be again it doesn't negate that i was hurt right negate that i was that i have to spend literally every moment of my life healing from trauma as of right now it's still constant active more constant conversations in my head is this because of what i experienced is this because of what i went through oh is this why i'm this way because i'm doing that work and as a teacher, reminding myself to, when to be a student of that, too, not, not always thinking, how does this relate to my clients? That's extra work, you know? Like, I want to help my clients, but I also have to keep myself separate. But instead of investing all my emotion into those mental processes, I reserve that energy, show compassion, understand that hurt people hurt people, understand that my mother was hurt, was hurt. My, my father, my biological father, a con artist, violent, mm abusive beat her while she was pregnant broke ribs she's been through it like really really through it it's not a story that i totally understand because that conversation isn't hasn't really happened in great detail but that's one of those things where i'll ask i'll ask my clients okay is this your crap or is this someone else's crap that's her. Okay. that's hers and that can translate even as pain just like the physical presentation of my ptsd through hives we're all familiar that we can carry tension in our necks. Oh, yeah. We can carry stress <clears throat> in our knees, joy in our jaws, you know, when we smile. Right. I'm carrying pain from my mother, and I can ask myself when I'll feel an ache or a pain, is that mine or is that, is that my mom's? Is that mine or is that my grandmother's? Who, whose pain am I carrying here? And when I identify that it's not mine, it dissipates. Mm. Thank you. And I know that's something that I, I was actually going to, 
get on the subject on doing body scans mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, personally, I do Soulful Sundays, and mm -hmm. I was going to touch on that. So thank you for mentioning that. That is, and I'd love, you've just said everything so beautifully. Thank you. And, and yes, just yes. as a reminder, hey, is this my crap or your crap? You know, and yeah, because we can take that on. So thank you for that. Oh, that was so beautiful. And I told you before, and I'm going to say it again. I just wish I can hold, just give your inner child a hug. Just give you a hug. And, oh, and when I, oh, I appreciate it. Oh, man. And, you know, you just triggered something in me. Um, I wet the bed. I wet the bed until I was 11. And yeah, I would get in trouble for wetting the bed by my stepfather. Mm -hmm. And so when I got old enough to realize that, hey, I just wet the bed, I would scramble to go ahead and get those sheets changed before he would notice. Yeah. I just thought of that. So thank you. I can let that go. Yeah. Yeah. I restarted wetting the bed in my 20s, my late 20s, when I was married to my abuser. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't put two and two together yeah. until much later. But yeah. Long system. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. amazing what our bodies will do to try to protect us. Right. right. And there was, I did the same thing. There was a point where, <clears throat> and again, my mother was going through a lot of her own crap. Mm -hmm. And I was in the fire zone. Mm -hmm. there. And when I remember one evening in particular, there was a lot of, of drinking that night. Because I think it was a, a birthday party or something. Okay. I came out while... I realized much later, I found much later through EMDR, through bilateral stimulation and deep cognitive work, <clears throat> excuse me, that my father, my, my stepfather had actually come into my room that night. <gasps> but the memory that I had until that session was just co me coming out and quietly telling my mom, letting her know that I had, that I had wet the bed. And there was a party going on and she'd been drinking and she was angry that I was disrupting. And she was probably 26, 27, which when I was 26, 27, I put a lot of thought into the, into, you know, her response and I did not, did not accept it, but underwear was torn off, put right over my face instead. So I could smell, smell how disgusting I was right in front of everybody. But humiliation, oh. humiliation but that was a tactic. Again, this isn't, using it I'm sorry <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry baby it was hard I still carry <laughs> anger for that one and it's not actually a conversation my mother and I have had but maybe someday it's I have to come to a place where that's not a conversation we need to have right but that that humiliation is traumatizing in itself. Even when parents yes. think like this will this will get it to stop, right? It's like you don't rub a dog's nose in the poo, you know, oh. or the, the wet. But you did in our house yeah. growing up. Oh, because gosh. again, we're talking early 90s, stressed out woman mm. who wasn't given an opportunity to grow to be a mother on her own. Her mom took me out of the ar her arms when she came home from the hospital. My mom hardly got to participate in my raising until I was five. And then here she gets married and we move out together. Now suddenly she's she's married. She's only 20, 26. She finally gets to be a 20-something and she's got a kid along with her. And we're not wealthy people. You know, all working very hard. She was working multiple jobs. Again, I want to say again, that does not negate anything. Right. And doesn't make anything okay. Maybe okay, but I I can understand it and I can accept it. Not understand it in the way like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> I like to make that very, right. very clear. But right. I, can, I can understand it, you know? And that, from that point on, I never told her. Mm. I threw away a lot of underwear. I bought underwear with, with uh, allowance. I would tell my grandmother when we go out shopping that I needed new underwear and get her to buy me some and sneak in the house. So that's why I can't honestly say how long it went on for. I know we moved after that point. So I was in at least fourth grade, probably fifth grade before I finally got a hold of it and got the hang of it. But at that point, I was working, well, when I made that realization, I was working on that in therapy with my, with my mentor, trying to figure out a way to overcome the water allergy form because she was the first person to suggest to me 
that this this is something to do with PTSD and was the first person to draw light for me upon my endometriosis and its connection to my abuse. It's on the side that I'd get spanked on the most. Wow. Spreads all the way down to my knee and all across my, my pelvis on that side. And she took me through an EMDR session, brought me to that place with my six-year-old sweet little self who I grew up in like blaming you know, could have taken better care of your sisters could have taken better care of your brother the hypervigilance and codependence that i had involving my siblings i mean i was determined and i i was responsible for them a lot i get grounded so i could stay home to babysit you too yeah <laughs> it's right? yeah it's a yeah. thing people <laughs> like yeah. for every minute late i was grounded for a week that's the point that it got to because a minute and a day didn't teach the lesson, but really, we all know you were hoping I'd be late, so so I would be there to babysit anyway. Yeah. Right? So I was responsible for getting them off to school in the morning and their breakfast, getting getting them to bed at night. A lot of times, I'd read their bedtime story. I was responsible for giving them their baths. I remember specifically the twins were not even two, and I was giving them their baths. So I was maybe nine, around nine, and. I apparently used too much shampoo and I remember my stepdad screaming at me that water mm -hmm. had gotten outside of the tub and, and was going downstairs and that I used way too much shampoo on their hair. And I remember at that point saying, I'm a kid. <laughs> like I said that to him, like, I'm a kid. And I basically, I don't, you know, lots of cursing. I don't, I don't care. But mm -hmm. looking back as an adult, why is this child like I know in pioneer days or <laughs> Little House of Mary? You know, John Boyman <laughs> bathed his, his siblings. We're talking 1996 New Jersey. Right. And I'm getting screamed at for doing it incorrectly when I was probably never taught properly how to do it in the first place. And God forbid they have some fun and, spl and splash some water over. Mm. So much trouble. So working with my therapist, sorry, a tangent. No, you're fine. And going back as my grown self, being able to look through the eyes of this little girl that I shelved so much blame on her for not saying something you know because i doubted myself that what was actually happening i didn't know as far as i as i was concerned my normal was everyone's normal everybody got, right yeah everybody got this this way and, and touched this mm. way like if i say it's inappropriate because i was always accused of making up stories mm. if i talked about something elizabeth's probably making up stories again yeah, but i wouldn't be believed and then maybe it wasn't worth mentioning i was i was probably imagining that it was a bad thing yeah so when she took me to this place and i was able to see it with adult eyes i saw the, the just mortification on everybody's face because mm -hmm. as a child i was just humiliated and then looking as an adult i was like oh my god they don't even know what to do so uncomfortable and i was able to go back farther and remember that he came in my room that night. He snuck in while mm -hmm. everybody was out in the dining room. One room over. One room over. I was the first door down the hall. And he just he went in there. And then I wet the bed. And then I got humiliated for it. Mm -hmm. And that's a core memory of my life. That's a core constructive moment. Did my mother intend in her response when she didn't know what had just happened to traumatize me? For the rest of my life of course not my mother loves me and i know there's a crap ton of regret and upset over our relationship and how she treated me growing up it's not necessarily going to be expressed to me unless she's had a, a drink maybe you know? <laughs> it's hard for her it's hard for her. But like i said i did accept that i'm not necessarily going to get that conversation right so she didn't intend to traumatize me but she, she did they both did royally and it dictates or did dictate a lot of the agency over my experience going forward and made me angry made me scared made me fearful had me clinging like i said to my siblings in in an unhealthy way where i wanted to fix all their problems i wanted to help them and it wasn't helping them. <laughs> through my work our relationships are stronger than ever because i'm not clinging to them too tightly my relationship with my mother is better than ever because i'm not going into every situation on defense ready for the worst case 
-hmm. and that ripples out. That's that's the greatest thing is when you when you do the work, you don't even have to voice certain conversations. I'd say almost any really. You just do that work and it, it ripples out and it meets them, even if they're trying to dodge it. You know, they're they're gonna be touched by that energy of somebody who's healing, somebody who's not screaming at them internally. Oh no. I don't know if I froze or you or you froze. Well, in case you can see me and hear me, I'm just going to go through the comments real quick while I wait to hear from Melinda. It looks like it might just be me here. I'm not certain how this works. Um, hi. Hi, Joe Hicks. If you, um, just a fun fact, if you uh, take a little too much THC and you start to feel a little sick, a little queasy, or you start to feel like maybe a little overstimulated euphorically, if you have CBD isolate handy, you can take just a little bit of that and that will help level you out. If THC says, say THC is like laying spread across the couch and taking over the experience and you want to tone it down a bit, CBD will crowd the couch and shove THC over a little bit. You could also chew on a peppercorn. It's chock full of a terpene called beta caryophylline, which has the same effect on THC. So I've seen it work like that. If you if you find it also with the headache, beta caryophylline can help with that. So if the THC does a little too much, you can do it that way. There are other ways to take THC um, that don't bring on those effects if you, if you would like to look into those as well. For example, suppositories can you can administer large amounts of THC for pain without it being processed through the liver and getting getting you high. Oh, you're very welcome. Mm. My mother denies me abuse from my childhood. I realize now why she did what she did, stop it right, but it gave me the tools to close the door on it, create a better relationship between myself and my mother. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I know, I know exactly what you mean. There's um there's a lot of conversations and questions unanswered and conversations unhad. And I think part of the healing, or at least in my, in my experience, a great part of the healing is in the acceptance of those unanswered questions. I've watched as people close to me have spiraled after losing their mother and things going unrepaired. And we can put really pretty band-aids on top of wounds our entire lives but until we clean out the festering infection beneath it controls our experience and that can still be done after after losing a mother people tend to believe that it has to happen in a face-to-face -face, it has to happen in a conversation but it's really that energy that we put out that decision that we will no longer be affected emotionally because as i spoke to briefly earlier, there's chemical responses that go off in our brain when we experience something, when we, when we develop an emotion, an emotion that just comes up, oh, she's restarting right now, an emotion that just um, comes up instantly from an, from an experience, something we see, just takes that, that quick, quicker than that, for the emotion to kick in and the chemicals to be sent out to receptors within the body. And our bodies grow literally addicted our our cells grow addicted to those neuropeptides that are released for those emotions and eventually our cells in our body no longer uh, when they split and they create sister cells or cousin cells they no longer produce cells that have all the receptors for nutrition and and for Im immune system and things like that, they'll have way less and they'll carry more receptors for those specific neuropeptides attached to unhealthy emotions. Yay, you're back. So that's how we physically grow addicted to the chemicals and emotions and 
even though, for example, how our mothers are probably very unhappy with how maybe they spiraled into rages, for example, over little, little things, they were literally addicted to that, to that response. And it was also part of likely a fight or flight, a power struggle within themselves concerning their mothers. A lot of the trauma that we experience, while, while we of course have our own personal traumas and adverse childhood experiences, as me and Melinda do, and as sounds you do as well, Joe, we also have that generational and historical trauma that we're carrying our mothers, our mothers, mothers, our fathers, their mothers. I'm talking thousands of people when you get down to it. And then if you want to bring on the collective as well, because that energy is all here, baby, you can't create it or destroy it. You can only change it. And we're carrying during a pandemic, a lot of weight, a lot of energy right now. This is a period of dark medicine where people are either taking care of their needs and facing all of that, or, or they're struggling. They're having a really hard time being with themselves, with themselves. Welcome back, Melinda. <laughs> And that's why we're live. <laughs> so these things happen. So I hurry up and race downstairs, and the family's like, that's not happening to me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. So thank you for going with the flow and um, no continuing. See, you're such a professional. Look at that. You just kept on going. <laughs> Joe, Joe, it, thank you so much for, for tuning in. It, really, Joe. And I know Joe mentions that she had issues she uses cannabis for pain as well mm -hmm. and careful with the t c h t t c h or t h c t h c so there's so cannabinoids which there's phytocannabinoids there's also endocannabinoids so phyto means from the plant endo means from within something that a lot of people don't realize is we all all mammals possess uh, endocannabinoid system. All vertebrates, I should say, actually. All vertebrates carry an endocannabinoid system in their bodies. And this acts as a communication highway between the musculoskeletal system, between tissues throughout the body, organs. We have receptors all over in our brain, in our gut, and throughout our body for this system, which communicates, for example, if you look at the sun and it's bright and you start to blink, that's your endocannabinoid system telling your eyes to blink. It's the only system in the body that has retroactive signaling that sends a response. So you stub your toe, and you feel that pain, it comes up. Your endocannabinoid system says, start to swell a little bit down there so the bleeding can stop, you know, signals for inflammation. When that inflammation is overactive or inappropriately active, we have chronic pain. When our endocannabinoid system is not in balance, we can experience endocannabinoid deficiencies like PTSD, like diabetes, like arthritis, fibromyalgia, which is a trauma-induced chronic pain, which same like endometriosis. You know, and when you go into a doctor and you say you have fibromyalgia, how quickly do they stop taking you seriously? Yeah. Right? Well, in my case too, they didn't believe the Lyme diagnosis mm. and they just they said, Well, you just have fibro. I'm like, okay. Mm. Okay, so, but I, I totally agree with you about the medication of your friend too, who gave me medication to, oh, well, I know you'll have this side effect or, and so you'll need mm -hmm. this. Or I would say, oh yeah, it makes me feel like this. Well, let's give you a prescription for something else. Mm -hmm. And that's what really, truly, a lot of that disenchanted me with mm -hmm. our medical system. And I didn't want to be on those medicines. And I did mention to you before that I had tried the CBD oil and we talked mm -hmm. about that. You Thank you for educating me on that and how I had never been able to find a, an oil um, that didn't give me migraines, which I was mm -hmm. taking for, for pain as well as migraines, but it made my migraines worse. So can you mm -hmm. touch on that at all about, about yeah. the oils? Yeah, well, I, absolutely. So <clears throat> as I was saying, like, like you just mentioned how you'll have these side effects from other medications, what they do when you introduce these chemicals to the body is they're often cutting off signaling or they're often replacing signaling, which means that they're just batting around in your system trying to find what cell they need to talk to, right? Whereas cannabinoids, anything connected with cannabis, they're like locks and keys. They're gonna find their key that they go to and they're gonna go there. And as I said, there's phyto and there's endo. We create cannabinoids. We create something called anandamide. That's one of them within our bodies on demand. All vertebrates do this, like a runner's high. That's not something I experience. I know there are people out there who like to run. 
doesn't either know. That's not that one's not for me. I, I am familiar. There was a brief time where I was like, this is okay. I can get down with this for a little bit. But it, it's not for me. But that runner's high, that exercise, also in dancing or singing, you increase the anandamide production within your body by dancing or singing by 50%. Mm -hmm. Receiving a massage, eating chocolate, terpene-rich foods, and cannabis can all increase anandamide. Now, anandamide, that endocannabinoid that we all produce, that runner's high, is ananda comes from the Sanskrit word for bliss. It's considered the bliss molecule. It allows us to feel pleasure and motivation. So those who are depressed have low to no anandamide production within their brains. The PTSD, same thing. Now, they have created synthetic medications to try and do things with the anandamide in people's brains. It's a partial agonist. So imagine a dimmer switch. It'll turn it a little bit and give you a little bit of juice, a little bit of boost. THC is the phytocannabinoid that is similar to anandamide, another partial agonist. So when we bring them together, we're talking about homeostasis. We turn that switch all the way up. We feel joy. We feel pleasure. We feel motivation. When they try to create synthetics, they try to create a synthetic cannabis-derived um, medication for obesity. It was an anti-obesity medication called Ramonabent. During the trial, because the synthetic was just doing its thing, it's not finding its specific locks to go to, it cut off anandamide production and participants and 12 people committed suicide. Oh Isn't that insane? Oh committed suicide. These were happy people, they were fine. They weren't going to this, I mean, I don't know their lives, but they weren't going to this for depression. They were going for obesity, for, for weight loss. Oh and within the trial, a dozen people committed suicide. So they shut that down. When you need potassium, are you going to eat a wax banana? No, you're gonna eat a banana unless you're allergic or something else. But you know, you, the real thing is superior. So these synthetics are, are dangerous. As I said, THC is the phytocannabinoid. We have these things that are in the plants that can meet, match, and support what we produce within our body naturally to turn these keys where they need to be turned as much as they need to be turned, especially when we develop our own understanding of what we need and how to attain it. And we achieve homeostasis. Everything's working properly. The, now, the oils that you were talking about, you, you were saying that you were getting headaches. We also spoke about being sure we know what we're getting. There are a lot of snake oil salesmen out there, and that is just the truth. And especially Delta 8, stay away from Delta 8. If you take nothing away from this conversation, please stay away from Delta 8. Do not buy your medicine at a gas station. Valero does not have your health in, in mind. No, that, don't do that. But Delta 8 is a money grab. Because the CBD industry has boomed. It's everywhere. People are producing it all over the place. When we were in New York, there are trucks going down the street like they sell ice cream, but they're selling CBD. Wow. This, this has resulted in a lot of unregulated product over the counters and price drop. So they needed something new. So growers out there with chemistry sets tinkered around with THC, synthesized it because there is not that much delta eight in cannabis naturally they needed it in large scale amounts in order to sell it they say that it doesn't get you high lies it absolutely does several people i know because they know who to call have messaged me and said i'm rocking back and forth in the fetal position i feel like i'm gonna die with i just took delta eight i bought it at you know at the store over the counter i don't understand they say it doesn't get you high and that's why i tell them as i as i said joe you take a little cbd or chew on a peppercorn if you don't have that handy to balance the effects and bring yourself down, but it's dangerous. And for me, as someone who is striving so hard to squash a stigma, it really damages the integrity of uh, industry already under constant scrutiny. We do not need this kind of crap coming through here. So being careful about what you're, what you're putting into your body, you can go to um, a vitamin store that sells CBD and buy something off the counter, think it's gonna be perfectly fine, but it could include botanically derived terpenes, for example, that don't come from cannabis, that come from lavender, let's say, for mm -hmm. sedative effects. Well, what if that lavender was grown with a fertilizer that isn't meant to be ingested, especially if it's something that's being vaporized? That could really damage someone. I mean, we're, we're talking serious harm. These things need third-party testing. 
for toxic metals, for toxic pesticides and fertilizers, for harmful byproducts. And when you ask for third-party testing, if they say no, you run. You don't buy their things. Or if they give you testing that they did in-house, no, no, you run. You don't buy their things. Third-party testing, that's why I, I believe medical grade is the absolute way to go as much as possible when possible because the regulation is going to be there and you're going to know what you're getting. There's also isolate, as I said, versus full spectrum. Isolate has its place in case like that, like where you take a little too much THC and try to come down a little bit. But full spectrum means that you're getting all of the terpenes, all the goodness that was in this plant. The terpenes are present in all plants. They decide the pigment, aroma, and flavor of plants. So spices and herbs, what you're tasting, what you're smelling, those are terpenes. They are present in cannabis as well. As I said, linalool comes from lavender. That's sedative. It's also in cannabis, the indica-leaning cannabis. Sativa is more for daytime, uplifting for the majority of people. Indica puts you in the couch. That's that nice couch <laughs> block. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to watch The Office and have a good night. <laughs> it's also, you know, sativa, something with limonene in it, which is present in citrus fruit, gives energy, gives mood enhancement. Okay, I got job. I got a job to get done. I'm going to have some of this cannabis that's high in limonene, maybe some myrcene, which is present in mangoes, because this will make it last longer for me. And they'll provide a little pain relief. beta caryophylline as I mentioned before, is in peppercorn. And that also can help bring someone down if they, if they go a little overboard with the THC. That is great for pain as well. Most of these terpenes are anti-inflammatories. So if you've heard to squeeze lemon in your tea for energy, same principle. If you've heard to have lavender tea at night, for, for I'm thinking tea because I have a cup of it here. Um, that's, yes, orange juice in the morning. Exactly. And one, you're getting a nice dose of vitamins first thing in the day. You're getting that, you know, vitamin C and stuff. And you're also introducing limonene into your system for a little energy, for a little um, mood enhancement. There's a smorgasbord of terpenes out there that we can understand. And when people understand their medicine, they know what they need. They only address those needs. They don't have to worry about side effects. Like the linalool can help me sleep without putting me into some weird ambient tweet place or have, have me having, you know, drooling on myself. Sleep medicines, most of the time, medications, they're, they're just blocking off um, things that keep you awake. They're not really helping you to get restful sleep. Whereas you take something like cannabis that's going to turn the locks within your body that need to be turned in your endocannabinoid system, addressing the underlying issues that are preventing you from sleeping means that you're going to get rest. You'll still be able to wake up if there's, an, if there's something in the middle of the night. You know, you don't have to worry about sleeping through the phone ringing if there's an emergency or the fire alarm is going off. It's quality, restful sleep. It takes protocol, diligence, titration, and in my case with, with coaching, I have found that in states where it's becoming federally legal, those doctors that just prescribe real quick, who are experts, of course, in, in medicine, aren't experts in cannabis, they're becoming obsolete. Wow. A lot of people need coaches like myself to help them understand their medicine, what they're, what they're looking for, different modes of taking it. I mentioned while, while you were reconnecting that suppositories are a nice option for getting a large amount of THC for pain without bringing on all the euphoric effects because it's not processed through the liver as it is when you ingest it or you inhale it. Wow, thank you so much. I'm going to have to listen to that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people that are scared away by, you know, they're going to get high and so on. So thank you mm -hmm. for bringing so much of this to the forefront and just mm -hmm. um, giving that real talk about this. So it seems a lot less scary to me when you talk, when mm -hmm. you talk about this, you know, that, um, yeah, I'm going to be having a bag of a Cheeto sitting on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, heading out looking for some white castles. You know? Yes, <laughs> you can you can make the experience what you need it to be. But it comes from not just understanding the cannabis itself, but understanding the self and what the self needs right. and having that dance between the two. Wow. Thank you. And if anybody is interested in any of her groups or the group that she has, I've had the links here. Her uh, you can find her on Facebook, TikTok. I have her website here. I'm just going down the list. Again, they're in the comments section. And you did have an article on a mindful practice that I did put the link down here in that. And then you were in Leaf Magazine, September 21st issue, page 18. So I have that listed too. You can find that in the comments. 
But yeah, please reach out. She's amazing. It's a beautiful story. Really and truly. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking over the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. <laughs> My pleasure. I really appreciate this opportunity to yeah. speak. And and I know as in my experience in my capacity as a coach and somebody who's always been fairly vocal about my experience, even when I didn't realize that it was the trauma that it was, it's, we're all wonderful. We're all unique, but we're not that special. There, mm. It's out there. Right? right. And people, when they hear, particularly women, you know, we hear another one share a story that's similar to ours. It helps us feel a little more comfortable in recognizing our own ex experience. So it's important to me. That's why it's not the most comfortable thing necessarily talking about my mom. I don't know that I'm going to send her the link to this, you know, <laughs> because it might, it might hurt her. And that's, right. I'm not out here trying to hurt my mom. I'm not sitting here saying she's a terrible person. She did a crappy job. She did what she could with what she had. And you did that beautifully. You, you did still honoring her honoring her position as a mother. And yeah, that's beautiful. That really is. That was in that mind blowing because there's some that had experiences such as this with that mother figure or father figure. And it's really left a lot of bitterness yeah. going forward. So you, my gosh, thank you. And also sharing that it's taken you a while to get to where you are now that it didn't happen overnight, which is, mm. I know that I felt like, Oh, I'm out of that situation. I should be healed like that. And it does take time. So thank you. We for put a that. lot of pressure on ourselves, don't we? Yes. When really yes. we're always, I'll be 80. And when I, when I think about my mother, I'll be looking at her through the lens of a child because I have these experiences. My siblings have a different mother than I do. Essentially. My mother was 21 when she had me, my mother was still at home with her parents for another five years, you know, experiencing what she was experiencing. Their mother, my sister's mother, their mother was 29 when she had them. My brother's mother was 33 when, when she had him. They have a different mother. So my sisters have a different relationship with her. My brother has a different relationship with her. And my one sister and my brother are, are living at home right now. That's their relationship is going to evolve and continue to be different. So I to hold space for the fact that people are, we all experience a constant continual evolution and I don't expect my mother to be the same woman today in, in her 50s as she was when she was in her 20s. And I can hold her accountable without, without beating her up constantly in my head. Because who, who did that make miserable? Me. Right. You know, and I didn't want to make my mom miserable anyway. Because hurt people hurt people. She was miserable. That's how we got into this place you know, in the first place. But letting an experience from the past dictate feelings and again the emotions that you, that you that you feel mean that those neurons that are firing together are going to wire together and we're just going to stay in that bitter angry place and we're going to grow addicted to those bitter angry emotions and then that is going to continue in a vicious cycle that mows over generations ahead yeah. or we can throw ourselves in front of the bus spread our arms dig our heels and then stop it that's powerful thank you Thank, thank you. you so much for this opportunity. I'm really grateful. And thank you for all watching. I appreciate it. Again, it'll be uploaded very soon to Anchor and then onto YouTube. And thank you so much for bringing such beauty and grace to your story. Oh, my goodness, and inspiration. So I hope you have a great rest of your day, everybody that's watching. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you.